This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I am Katie Rich, and I'm here for what is usually an interview episode, but is not this week because we are going to bring our the final installment of our August book club and give it its own episode to discuss White Noise, the Don DeLillo book that I think is the only one in the series that we've covered this month that has been declared to be unadaptable, though I haven't been able to figure out who has claimed that. Um, we can talk about why you might say such a thing. Um, and joining me is Rebecca Ford. Hi. And Hilary Busis. Hello. When we switched from covering Killers of the Flower Moon, which had been in the lineup for our fourth book, um, to this because Killers is delayed till next year, I felt kind of intimidated by it. And Hillary, you were like, yeah, I've read it before. I'll read it again. It's no big deal. Um, uh, why were you so willing to jump back into this? Not like it's not like a challenging like Dostoevsky novel, but it's not like an easy read. Um, but Hillary, you seemed really ready to tackle it. Well, it's like funnier and easier, I would say, to read than a lot of very literary national book award sort of books. I will say that I have not read other Don DeLillo books. Um, I think that this is probably among his more accessible ones, uh, if not the most accessible. And yeah, yeah, I, haven't, having, I haven't either. So <laughs> yeah, having, having some familiarity with it from the college class uh, that I had to read it for uh, mumble mumble years ago was uh, <laughs> sort of nice. Although I, I will tell you, um, when I picked up my copy again, I found that my highlights conspicuously stop partway through the books. <laughs> <laughs> it is very possible I never finished it. <laughs> what was the name of the class that you read it for? It was for American Family Fictions, oh. taught by Maura Spiegel, well, a great that- lady. This seems like a, exactly the book you would read for a class like that. Um, Rebecca, did you have any history with this book before we picked it up for this podcast? No, I had not read it. I I had always wanted to. We literally had a copy of it on our bookshelf in my house because it's one of those books where I'm like, I'm going to read this eventually. Um, <laughs> so I was I was glad I had a reason to really sit down with it and read it after all this time. Um, I brought up the unadaptable thing in the beginning because, I mean, if you look at the Wikipedia page, you see that uh, in 2004, Barry Sonnenfeld uh, was trying to adapt it. So it has been a long journey. But I also had not read it before. And I think I had imagined something that was like spanning centuries and really like abstract. And there's there's plenty of abstract thought in this book, but it's a pretty simple story like it's about a family it's about a college professor he's a professor of hitler studies which we can talk about like why that's part of the story um and there's an airborne toxic event that kind of changes their lives but even like on wikipedia which i have open it says a cataclysmic train accident tears their lives asunder which is not 
really what happens. Like, it's about living in a time of apocalypse and can, going about your business, which I think is something that uh, we're very familiar with in, in our actual lives. Um, do you guys get the unadaptable idea more than I do, maybe, of why this would be such a challenge to bring to the screen? I mean, I think so. It's it's more of a of a vibe, as mm. the kids say. Than, <laughs> there's not a ton of there's not really any plot. I mean, the the event happens, as you mentioned, um, and it changes things, but it also doesn't. Um, the like plottiest strand of the book is Jack and Babette's marriage, um, her addiction to the anti fear of death drug Dilar, and then his obsession with the doctor slash scientist who created the drug and who she like slept with in order to get it. But even even that doesn't really feel like, you know, enough for uh, I guess I guess we should just be grateful that it's not an eight part Netflix series. <laughs> you can definitely <laughs> Which imagine is the that. sort of thing that would <laughs> that would exist in the streaming age. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like the unadaptable part is the first third of the book because it's just this main character explaining his life and his marriage and his perspective, but it's so internal that I just feel like, how would we watch that? So I do wonder if they just trim that down and start with the airborne toxic event to sort of kick off the story because, yeah, this, this last two thirds have much more plot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Call it that. the first third is the first third, I would say, though, is like the most purely enjoyable part of the mm -hmm. book, or at least I, I felt that way just because, you know, reading about the family dynamics, this crazy giant blended family, and it's so deadpan. It's really, really funny. The idea of a, of a, of a professor of Hitler studies, like, just, like, makes me laugh because it's so, I don't know, <laughs> I, I shouldn't disparage academia. Um, but, <laughs> but academia is very ridiculous and a very, like, rarefied world that deserves the knocks that it gets, I think. Um, and this book is really really good at pointing out the absurdities of that world in a way that, yeah, I don't think would translate to film, but it's very fun to read. Yeah, I really can't wrap my head around like what you do with someone being a professor of Hitler studies in a movie in 2022, because movies just make things so literal. And I think the like, we are supposed to understand that he is a professor of, professor of Hitler studies, but it's called College on the Hill. Like it's a very like abstract metaphorical kind of college. And there's that really funny sequence where his like his friend is trying to teach a class on Elvis and they go back and forth about the parallels between Hitler and Elvis, which is funny in the year that Elvis came out. But I don't I don't know. Like, Are people going to get mad when they realize that there's Hitler in this movie or are they going to just like downplay it as much as possible? When do people not get mad, Katie? About a movie? <laughs> if Noah Baumbach went about wondering about that, he'd never make a movie. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like the bigger danger with all the satirical elements of the book is just I, I think that white noise was so influential and you can really feel it, especially in contemporary fiction. When you look at everybody from like Jonathan Franzen to like Otessa Mosfe and like I don't know, so many of the highbrow books that have come out in the 30 plus years, 35 years since it was published, um, that 38, I, I can't do math. But <laughs> I, I wonder if like an adaptation is going to necessarily feel like kind of dated or inessential just because so many of the points that Don DeLillo makes in this book have been like taken and ran with over the past almost four decades um, mm -hmm. by so many other people that it's just going to kind of feel like too late, which I don't know. That's that's sort of how I felt about like the Dune adaptation, which apparently I am kind of alone in that everybody else loves that movie. <laughs> but I don't know. Watching Dune, I was like, OK, yeah, I know all of these tropes like I'm I Frank Herbert invented them like you, you give him credit for that. But 
Star Wars has been around for 50 years at this point. Like, do we need a Dune movie? And I don't know. I sort of, I sort of wonder if like there are so many contemporary satires like in the vein of White Noise at this point that a movie is just going to kind of feel like it's imitating the book's own imitations or something. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, host of Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. This week, with the help of Dan Adler and Olivia Nuzzi, we're going inside the media circus swirling around Donald Trump's criminal trial. People want coverage of Donald Trump. There are sort of shades of 2015, 2016. I found it to be a, a total break from the reaction to a lot of Trump coverage in the last two years. Join me, Brian Stelter, on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Listen wherever you get podcasts. I think when I picked up this book, I was worried that it was going to be kind of the like American Beauty version of that, where it's like, oh, well, we have everything, but we cannot be happy and what what to do of it. And the book is more <laughs> is more clever than that. Like it's about like television and advertising and grocery stores and all these things that are kind of deadening your soul. But it's not like it's not so like kill your television about it. You know, it kind of like. It's warm. Like, this guy likes living in this house with all these kids, like, watching TV and believing weird things. It, it, it feels more balanced than that. And I think a movie capturing that version of it, of being like, well, there's probably, probably chemicals in our water, but, like, we got to live anyway. That, that would feel almost fresh at this point compared to some of those uh, knockoffs you're talking about. Not knockoffs. Yeah, that, but- it's, that it's considered a black comedy, I think, is a good <laughs> start. Like, that it's going to, I think the movie is going to try to be funny, like, intentionally. I, I, that gives me some hope. Yeah. It's also so interesting to think about this coming out as a film post-pandemic because, you know, when this event happens, there are there are little parts of the book where I'm like, oh, yeah, those first few hours where you're like, is this when COVID-19 first became a thing? And we're like, that's not going to spread over here. Like, that's not going to come. And, and you see that in the book. And so I am curious in the film how much that sort of parallels our own experience, what we went through the last couple of years and making this movie after COVID-19 probably feels very different than if they had made it before, as many people had tried to do, it sounds like. Well, yeah, and even the experience of, like, there's this giant cataclysmic thing that changes everybody's lives, but then did it really change anything right. at all? Mm-hmm. Like, that feels very, very true to COVID. Yeah, and I and I wonder how much I want it to link to that, to be a COVID movie properly, like, or how much it should like let us read into it because I don't think you have to do very much for people to watch a movie now and be like, oh boy, that's now. But like movies are forever. So it doesn't need to be more directed in that direction. I I'm, I don't know what the ideal balance for that would be. It's also Baumbach's first adaptation of a book. So I am yeah. curious how he does with that. You know, obviously I think he has a very unique voice and is really amazing when it comes to capturing especially relationships between husband and wife and that sort of conflict. So it does feel like a great fit for him. But I am curious to see him sort of adapt something and then for it to be such an iconic novel, I think will be really interesting. Oh, yeah. And speaking of uh, the adaptation angle, um, have you guys read Emma Klein's uh, New Yorker story called White Noise? No. So it's it's really great. I highly recommend it. It came out, I think, in the magazine last year. But it's a fictionalized account of like Harvey Weinstein's last days before he goes before he gets convicted. Um, And it follows him like at this like, 
isolated compound in Connecticut, um, and he meets his neighbor, and he thinks his neighbor is Don DeLillo. He, like, confuses him for Don DeLillo and then decides that he is going to, like, get back into Hollywood's good graces by adapting White Noise because it's an unadaptable book, and, like, he'll get a lot of credit for, like, managing this feat. It's, <laughs> uh, I don't know, it's it's really funny and, like, feels feels like of a piece with the book, too, like, in the in the absurdities that it's, like, plumbing into. So, yeah, recommend that. I would see an adaptation of that as well. It's going to be the sequel to White Noise that uh, no one is sure that they wanted. White Noise and She Said. It's like, how weird to have that coming out. <laughs> Don't forget women Both talking. This yeah, is yeah. Our book club, I guess Bones and All is the one outlier in our, um, in our book club month. Um, oh, man, and reading, wait, reading White Noise, sorry to interrupt you, but also uh, the, the simulated evacuation stuff. I was like, this is the rehearsal. Like, this book ah. is just like, <laughs> there's so much of it in, in everything. Yeah, I mean, so much of this book is people being like, well, is this really the thing that you think it is? Or is this something else? Or like, kind of later in the book, when the relationship between Jack and Babette is, you know, coming apart, she's like, what is night? What is water? Like, and again, it, it sounds so like, big and philosophical, but it's funny the way that it's presented. And thinking about Adam Driver and Greta Gerwig, I mean, we can talk more about them. Like, I feel like they can pull that off. Like that dynamic between them is where all the like big questions about what does death mean becomes more real and feels more like real people speaking to each other, which is what a movie has to be. Yeah, the dialogue is so stylized that I would, I don't know, I, I feel like it probably doesn't translate directly to a script. Um, <laughs> <laughs> although I don't know if anybody can make it work. Maybe it is these people. Yeah. I really feel like Adam Driver could make this dialogue. I mean, and Greta, too. I, yeah, I think they're going to make it work. I feel like we're going to recognize lines pulled directly from the book, and it's going to work. I have a lot of faith in them. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a copy from the library, so I didn't get to highlight the way that Hillary did in college. But there was like someone else has done it. Like, I'm looking through it right now. There's just so many, like, lines that you read. It's not like profound like there's some like there's some parts of this that i think are kind of sentimental in some ways like talking about kids and talking about like you know lives that you build for yourself but the language is really that good the one innocent kid is named wilder like that's a little <laughs> <laughs> see i didn't even think about that that's why i needed to go back to academia hillary um but yeah the turns of phrase in there like you could do a voice of narration from adam driver but like i, th I think a big question i have about the adaptation is like as a character, like, for for a guy who the character is a, like, white guy college professor who has everything but, like, is afraid of death, like, that can get real intolerable real fast. And the book pulls that off. But I wonder if you need less of that voice in a movie for it to work as effectively. I also just realized that Don Cheadle is playing Murray, the professor, which I did not know while I was reading the book. And I think that's actually exciting because I think he also is really good at acting with tone when it's something satirical and mm -hmm. you know i honestly when reading this sort of pictured all the characters being white and so that's more exciting to i'm me. pretty I, I feel like murray siskind is probably meant to be yeah a white yep. Guy yep. in the original but we'll we'll allow it we'll allow it you know well there's also rules for andre benjamin aka andre 3000 and jody turner smith which are not specified on the wikipedia page and i like i maybe andre 3000 or andre benjamin is like the the guy at the pharmaceutical company? I don't know. There's not that many characters in the book who aren't, like, the main characters and children. So I don't even yeah, know guess, who they're like, going to play. Yeah, I guess, like, Jodie Turner-Smith is maybe a Winnie the oh. the other professor. I mean, that's a, that's a guess. I have no idea. But Yeah, like, other significant female characters are just kind of few and far between. I mean, maybe there's different stuff. Like, I don't know how much you mess with something like White Noise and change and add characters. But who knows? I think it probably makes sense, too, if you're trying to make it... <laughs> makes sense as a movie 
Yeah. <laughs> you think, like, can you imagine, like, putting more plot in in some way or, like, having the, like, engine of the story move a little bit more clearly? I think that that's probably what it was at one point in its, like, adaptive life. But Noah Baumbach seems like the kind of director and writer who could, like, figure out a way to keep it kind of episodic and Mm -hmm. less, like, narratively, like, I mean, focused, but not plot driven. Like, it feels like a good marriage of adapter to material. A marriage story, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we know how that turned out, so maybe not. (laughs) Well, I was thinking about a marriage story. Because it's also not plotty, really. I mean, I guess it's like they break up and then they stay broken up. Um, uh, But it's like the Meyerowitz story is new and selected in parentheses, which is just an incredible (laughs) flourish. Um, And it's also not super plotty. Like, it's just about a family. So I I feel like he, as a chronicler of family dynamics, that's kind of like that is his plot. And so that makes him perfect for this. Yeah. And Adam Driver is is a well-cast Jack, even if he and Greta Gerwig are maybe too young for these roles. Um, Also because the book just keeps on telling us how big Jack is. Yeah. Like how large. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the character of Babette, I think, for so much of it, she's like the cheerful, forgetful one. Um, And I think layers of her character are revealed as the book goes on, but it's not really about her. it's It's a story narrated by Jack, but I did. I could imagine Greta Gerwig in that role really easily, and I can also imagine her bringing more to it than what's in the book, even if it's not like actual new plot. Yeah, I'm hoping they gave her a little more, or she brought a little bit more to that character, which I think she will. And obviously, being partners with Noah, I'm sure they collaborate very closely. So, and Greta is also a writer herself, so I feel like we can expect uh, that to be a well-rounded character. Yeah, I'm, I am curious about the kids, too, because I feel like there's an easy way for them to be precocious or, like, like irritating in the way of, like, movie kids. Um, but, and I don't, I don't know, I'm curious about Heinrich. I want to see how he, how he man, translates to the screen. Did you get sick of Heinrich? Like, I feel for him, <laughs> but man, I got sick of that kid fast. <laughs> but I really believe that that kid is a real person. Mm-hmm. Like, in a way, maybe that not every character in this, like, very, like hyper real world is like his argument with his dad about whether or not it's raining like i like it's the sort of thing that i can very much see like a smart ass 14 year old actually doing yeah all three of us have children so we just like read this being like oh god no (laughs) what is is coming for us (laughs) but that was one of the lovely parts that i was thinking about too where they're at the evacuation shelter and heinrich winds up like talking to a huge group of people like telling them what's going on and jack his dad is like i can't let him know that i'm here or otherwise it'll like break the spell like i have to like let him grow without me and like like i said like it's not sentimental but it's just very like nice way to think about your relationship with your kids that isn't apocalyptic or dystopian or anything like that and i feel like that element is really important to making the book feel compelling all the way through yeah and dantalillo doesn't have kids which i was surprised to learn oh really yeah i didn't know that yeah he writes them well he does (laughs) i know I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Should we get a spoiler and talk about how it ends and whether... 
a movie can possibly end that way because it ends with like a very dramatic like spurned husband goes to murder the man her his wife was sleeping with and it kind of fails and then he just goes back to his normal life like that does kind of feel like something that would happen in a Noah Baumbach movie though so maybe it stays that way yeah that he is like such a such like a failure even at (laughs) even at murder (laughs) premeditated carefully planned murder yeah yeah, it feels like the t- I I think they're going to stay pretty loyal to the ending. I also, I mean with adapting a book like this, that's the challenge, right? Is you can't piss off fans of the book by changing it too much. So. Well, it doesn't seem like there's going to be like a restore the Deliloverse hashtag. I, you don't you don't think people are going to come out with their picket signs of the ending of this movie is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Before Fight Club, maybe White Noise was the the book that got people to be fans for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a nice thing about like making a literary like a literary movie rather than something like mass market. It has a lot of admirers and a lot of fans, but hopefully not the kind who are on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're all at uh, colleges uh, talking in uh, the cafeteria about what is it all those professors are talking. They, they, they throw out all these hypothetical situations like over lunch and it goes on forever. And you kind of want to The problem them. is that they're all adjuncts, so they don't have enough time to watch TV. <laughs> <laughs> um, to get meta for a minute, like as we talk about this, White Noise is one of the few fall movies that like we really don't know that much about. Like, Rebecca, you might know someone who's seen it. I have not talked to anyone who's seen it. Like, we've been getting glimpses of a lot of stuff ahead of Venice, but this one has been super under wraps, which I'm taking as a vote of confidence, but it could really go either way. Like, it, it's such a, a mystery, right? It feels like that's the overall strategy with Netflix this year, and, and I do think it's a smart one. I mean, we saw every year we see some films peak or burn out early um, with a lot of overexposure, and... They are keeping this one close to the vest, but I think because they're aware it's it's hitting Venice, it's opening New York, like it's going to be everywhere very, very soon. So, yeah, I don't know anyone who's seen it either, which is very unusual for this time of year. But I think it's probably a smart strategy if they're really confident in it. Yeah, it's the same deal with Bardo, their other big mm-hmm. movie that's going to Venice, the Inuritu movie. So, um, yeah, you're right that... I guess they recognize like a year after Power of the Dog that if you're going to go early, you got to like tread really, really carefully. And is there only the one image from it so far even out there? I didn't even know that existed. Like I Googled right before this and I found the shot of Adam Driver and Greta Gerwig's crimped hair and I was delighted. So, yeah, (laughs) I I think that's it. She's really she's really like giving Carol Kane in this picture. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Carol, if they had made this movie in the 80s, Carol Kane could have made a really good oh, puppet. She, be, she would have been amazing. <laughs> now that you bring that up, I'm not going to be able to. Maybe that's, maybe that's what she's doing. She might be doing the voice and everything. It's a real We can swing. only hope. I know. Adam Driver does look convincingly like middle-aged and rumpled, which I did not think he would be able to do in that still. So It does I think look like they promising. gave him like a professor belly. I'm curious yeah, if there's a that's true. That fat shirt's suit really hanging. Also, I'm guessing this is a period piece based on the clothes here. Like I think it, it would it would have to be right. You think so? Yeah, because cell know, there's phones so much, would change yeah. it all. Yeah, and there's so much stuff about like tabloids, like tabloid media, which that's doesn't true. really exist anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I I guess in terms of thinking of it as a COVID movie, seeing something set in the past, and you know, not that like a pandemic existed then, but that like. These things are, have been around and always will be around. Like, there's something powerful about that, too. 
so to, to conclude, I, I think I would recommend anyone read the book before. Like, we don't know how different the movie is going to be. I would be very interested to talk to someone who sees the movie and doesn't read the book. But, you know, it's a, a great work of American literature that I think holds up and is worthwhile in a way that even I probably wrongly was not expecting. You guys agree? Yes, read the book. <laughs> yeah, I, I think largely. I do think like some of the like consumerism stuff feels a little a little dated and like and like a little eighties. And you know, I get like kind of like an American Psycho vibe from it. And uh, although this is much a much more pleasant book to read than American Psycho, <laughs> um, American Psycho made a great movie. Yeah. See. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to like go back and be like, oh, like we were worried about all this stuff going wrong back then. Like, it is in some ways the same, but then television's well, good and now. it just feels like the world is the world that he was making fun of too, and so it's kind of it's kind of <laughs> harder to like put targets on these sorts of things when like influencers are everything that he's kind of warning about. Yeah, no, we were born into this, so we have no way of seeing uh, what's wrong with any of it. Just. Recite TV jingles to yourself all day and you'll be fine. Um, well, you can buy White Noise, check it out from your local library, and then look for the movie at the Venice Film Festival in a few weeks and then on Netflix later this year. They haven't told us when, right, Rebecca? It's just going to be on the horizon. Yep. It'll okay. be an airborne movie event. <laughs> <laughs> That does it for today's book club slash interview episode. We'll be back on Thursday with our roundtable conversation about all things festival season and all the rest. In the meantime, find us on Twitter at Little Gold Men and on our own. I'm at Katie Rich and Rebecca. Becca M. Ford. And Hillary. Filibuster. Our editor and producer is Brett Fuchs. And this week's award for what we parents are absolutely not saying as summer vacation nears its end goes to me. I got sick of that kid fast. I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast. Next up, we're watching the new HBO show, The Regime. Madam Chancellor, let's keep the gloves on. This is not a confrontation. We're just saying what's true. Academy Award winner Kate Winslet is our chancellor as she leads a faux European autocracy in turmoil. We'll be watching week by week as the regime unravels. And we'll be talking to the stars along the way. New episodes of Still Watching will drop every Sunday after the regime airs.